Welcome to ID the Future, a podcast about intelligent design and evolution. Hello and welcome to another edition of ID the Future. I'm your host, Todd Butterfield. Today, I'm delighted to have with me college professor and prolific author, Nancy Piercy. Welcome, Nancy. Hello, Todd. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Nancy has authored several books, including Finding Truth, The Soul of Science, and Saving Leonardo, written hundreds of articles, including one titled Debunking Darwin, spoken to audiences around the world, appeared on Fox and Friends, NPR, and C-SPAN. Now, Nancy, you've written Love Thy Body, Answering Hard Questions About Life and Sexuality. May I read your chapter titles to the listener? They're so good. I'd appreciate it. Oh, they grab my attention. Number one, (laughs) I Hate Me, The Rise and Decline of the Human Body. Chapter two, The Joy of Death, You Must Be Prepared to Kill. Chapter three, Dear Valued Constituent, You No Longer Qualify as a Person. Chapter four, Schizoid Sex, Hijacked by the Hookup Culture. Chapter 5, The Body in Politic, How the Homosexual Narrative Demeans the Body. Chapter 6, Transgender, Transreality, God Should Have Made Me a Girl. And finally, Chapter 7, The Goddess of Choice is Dead, From Social Contract to Social Meltdown. Those really grab my attention. You've covered a lot of topics, and clearly the implications of what your position is in this book are far-reaching. Now, with a a title like Love Thy Body, I'm assuming that you believe that many people, perhaps most of us, don't love our body properly. What does it mean to love my body? Well, what's going to be especially interesting, I think, to your audience is that every ethic does rest on a view of the body. That's its ultimate foundation. And every ethic in turn, then, depends on a view of nature because your body is part of nature. And so once you accept the notion that nature is a product of blind material forces, in other words, once you accept a Darwinian materialist view of nature, logically speaking, you are going to end up with a low view of the body because the implication of that is that the body has no intrinsic purpose. If nature has no purpose and is driven by purposeless, directionless causes, then obviously the body itself has no intrinsic purpose. So the body is reduced to a collection of physical systems. It's muscles, bones, organs, cells that provide no clue to who we are or how we should live. So our physical traits are given no signposts for the right way to live. And let me uh, give you an example because this is exactly how some people have defended issues like homosexuality. There's a very outspoken lesbian, she's very well known, her name is Camille Paglia. And she defends homosexuality in just those terms. She says, on the one hand, nature has made humans uh, male and female. She has no patience for social constructivism. Okay, so no, no, male and female are rooted in nature. Uh, nature has made humans a sexually reproducing species. But then she turns around and asks, why not defy nature? And, and here's the key quote. She says, fate, not God, has given us this flesh. We have absolute claim to our bodies and may do with them as we see fit. In other words, if our bodies are products of undirected material forces, then they convey no moral message, 
They give no clue to our identity. They have no intrinsic purpose. And so that's why the issue of nature is really foundational to all of these questions of morality that are in the, you know, the headline news today is that they all rest ultimately on your view of nature, which leads to a high view or a low view of the body. And of course, in what, what I argue in my book, Love Thy Body, is that in order to recover a high view of the body, we need to, in turn, recover a teleological view of nature. Teleology just comes from the Greek word telos, which means a goal or a purpose. And it's been evident ever since the ancient Greeks that living things are structured for a purpose. Their eyes are for seeing, ears are for hearing, fins are for swimming, wings are for flying. And really, the smoking gun is DNA, that every cell in the body is governed by a genetic code. And a code means language, information. In other words, the entire development of the organism is governed by a built-in plan or blueprint. So our bodies are not just raw material that we can use as we see fit, as uh, Camille Paglia puts it. Nature has an order. It has a plan, a purpose, a design. And I argue in, in Love Thy Body that we will be healthier and happier when we live in accord with that design. So I'm arguing that our, our, our gender identity, our sexual desire, and so on should all be in harmony with our biological sex. And that's what I mean by having a higher view of the body and crafting an ethic that is based on a high view of the dignity and value of the human body. Mm. I'm curious, what was your inspiration for this book? Did it come about partly as a result of seeing what's happening among college students with your work as, as a professor? I noticed you told some really great stories, even in your uh, introduction and part of chapter one, I believe. Um, where did this all come about? Right. I, I ran the book in the manuscript form by lots and lots of different student groups, and I got a lot of feedback on it. And so, as a result, the book is not just a matter of logical arguments and so on. It's got lots and lots of stories. And in fact, one of my favorite stories is in the chapter on homosexuality. It is about a young man whose name was Sean, Sean Doherty. And as a young, as a teenager, he was exclusively attracted to other men. But today he's married and has three kids. So what changed? And Sean says it ex is exactly what I outlined when I talked about, you know, how your view of the body depends on your view of nature. He said, I was regarding my sexual desires as who I was. In other words, I was taking my identity from my sexual desires. And then he said, I decided to accept my body as who I was. I decided to focus more on a high view of my body. And instead of trying to change my feelings, I accepted what I had, which was a male body, as a good thing, as something that should inform my identity and should give me a sense of purpose. And he even said my feelings are relatively superficial in comparison to my physical identity. So this is really revolutionary today because people are saying uh, your body doesn't matter. Your body, as male and female, doesn't really count. It's ironic because most of us, if pressed, would agree that people come in two forms. They come in male and female, and biologically, genetically, chromosomally, and anatomically, male and female are counterpart to one another. So, in a sense, what you can say is 
if someone is engaged in same-sex behavior, implicitly they are saying, why should my moral choices be directed by the body? Why should the structure of my body as male and female have anything to do with who I am sexually, my sexual identity? So this is a profoundly disrespectful view of the body. And that's why I, I show that people like Sean Doherty are actually recovering a higher view of the body when they question their sexual identity and end up coming up with a view of the body that is that my, my sexual identity, my feelings, should all line up with my biological sex. You see, that's that's loving the body. That's really a fascinating perspective. It does seem revolutionary. I suppose 100 years ago it wouldn't have been, but it, it stands out now because of what's happening all around us. Let's get into some of the details of Love Thy Body. What is the dualistic view of a person that you mentioned in your book? You talk about a two-story building. Yeah, um, what many people don't realize is materialism leads to a two-story view. In other words, it divides who you are as a person, your your feelings, your, your sense of self, your self-identity from your body. And I have a lot of students who have questioned me about this because, you know, intuitively we tend to think materialism is a philosophy that places high value on the material world because it says matter is all that exists. But ironically, in reality, it places a low view on the material world as so many particles in motion with no higher purpose or meaning. Mm. And so what ends up happening is that people then with a low view of the body will say, why should I pay any attention to my body in deciding who I am as a person? And so in a sense, you can see that there's a dualism there. My body has nothing to say to who I am as a whole person. It's, it's particularly easy to see in the issue of transgenderism, which is certainly something that's in the headlines every single day these days. I read an article by a 14-year-old girl who had lived as a trans boy for three years. Since from the age of 11, she had lived as a boy. And then she detransitioned mm. to reclaim her identity as a girl. And it was fascinating. In this interview, she said the turning point came when she learned that it's okay to love your body. And unfortunately, my book was already in print at that time, but it would have been a wonderful story <laughs> to tell in a book titled Love Thy Body. Mm -hmm. Wow. So uh, the two-story building, we don't necessarily have to describe it in detail, but it's it's Morality is separate from the physical. Is that basically what that is about? Yeah, well, it all goes back to the what's called the fact-value split. It starts with that. Many people have heard of the fact-value split. And what it means is that after the scientific revolution, many people concluded that the only valid form of knowledge is empirical facts. And what do you do then with morality? What do you do with things like theology? Well, you cannot stuff theological truths or moral truths into a test tube. Mm. And you can't study them under a microscope. So many people decided, well, that moral and theological issues are just private, personal, subjective opinion. And so that's when the concept of truth itself became divided. And many people use the imagery of two stories in the building. So the lower story is objective scientific facts that can be known by science. 
And the upper story then becomes a place where you throw anything that you can't know scientifically and that you then decide are not really truths at all. So that's sometimes called facts versus values. And with the understanding that values now means personal, private, subjective. And this is the topic of my earlier book, Total Truth. And I show how it is the main barrier to people even considering claims like Christianity, for example. People don't even realize that when you talk about Christian truth claims, that you are actually making objective truth claims. People think that you're just communicating what makes you get through the night, what is privately, personally meaningful to you. But in Love Thy Body, I show how that same split has now been applied to issues of morality and how, in a sense, um, let's take another example. Sometimes it's easier with an example. Take abortion, for example. This is fascinating. Most secular professional bioethicists today agree that life begins at conception. The evidence from DNA and genetics is just too strong to deny it. So, how is it that they then still continue to accept abortion? Well, what they say is that the fetus is human, you know, physiologically human, genetically human, from the time of conception. But it's not a person until some time later, when it develops a certain level of cognitive functioning, self-determination, and so on. So, what they're saying is, as long as the human being is merely human, merely in quotation marks, merely human, it can be killed for any reason or no reason. It can be picked through for sellable body parts. It can be tinkered with genetically. It can be harvested for organs and then tossed out with the other medical waste. So the upshot is that being human is no longer enough for human rights. So being human is in the lower story because that's a scientific fact. But being a, a person is now a value statement. It's mm. a statement about what we value, what kinds of cognitive functioning, cognitive abilities do we value. And when we value you enough, we will confer on you legal personhood. So you now have to earn the right to legal personhood by meeting the value systems of some professional bioethicist. And so, you, so that's the upper story. So being a body, being human is in the lower story. Being a person is in the upper story, and it's subjective and arbitrary. That's not only sad, it's horrifying just to think of the implications, which we see everywhere, and just the potential for it to get much worse. How prevalent is this dualistic view, and, and how did we get here? Well, it's very prevalent. Let's let's take uh, another example, um, assisted suicide. The American Medical Association, up until now, they have been opposed to uh, assisted suicide. And they just recently, a few days ago, in fact, decided they are no longer against it. So this is, again, a top issue, something that's in the news every day. And it's really the reverse of abortion, because abortions, the abortion argument is... Until you are not, you're merely human and therefore have no rights until you achieve a certain level of, a level of cognitive functioning and then you are conferred the status of personhood. Well, euthanasia is the opposite. It is, okay, if you lose a level, a certain level of cognitive functioning, then you are no longer a person, even though you are obviously still human. And at that point, you can be unplugged, your treatment withheld, 
your food and water discontinued, your mm. organs harvested. So once again, being biologically human is not enough to qualify for human rights. You have to earn the right to legal protection by exercising an arbitrary level of neocortical functioning. So this is really not compassionate. It's sold as compassion, but it is not. It is exclusive. It is saying some people don't measure up. They don't make the cut. It is really the pro-life position that is inclusive because it says if you're a member of the human race, you're in. That's enough. You have the dignity and status of a full member of the moral community. So again, it's fascinating to see how it is the Christian view that today actually has a higher view of the body, the higher view of what it means to be human, as opposed to the secular view, which says being a human gives you no rights at all, gives you no dignity and no status, and certainly no legal rights. We've been talking with author and professor Nancy Piercy about her newest book, Love Thy Body, Answering Hard Questions About Life and Sexuality. Next time, we'll continue our discussion with Nancy about bioethics, Darwinian ethicists, and the importance of loving the body in order to be in happy harmony with its design. Until next time, I'm Todd Butterfield for ID the Future. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.